99% Invisible is brought to you by the Lexus GX and Sirius XM. As a 99PI listener, we know that you delight in exploring regional architecture wherever you go. If you're looking for an adventure SUV that promises both luxury and capability, the new Lexus GX is just the vehicle you've been looking for. Enabled with Sirius XM, the 2024 GX comes equipped with a rich array of content you can enjoy on your next road trip. In true 99PI fashion, get in a GX today and experience how great design marries form and function. To learn more about the GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Robert Half Research indicates that 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Their specialized recruiting professionals engage with their proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, they know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the top requested clothing items in homeless shelters? Bombas is helping by creating comfy essentials and donating one for each one purchased. The comfort geniuses at Bombas make your everyday things your favorites. I am so happy the day after laundry day because that means all my Bombas choices are available. And if you want to get a leg up on a perfect day, put on Bombas socks, underwear, and the Bombas shirt, and you're like 75% on your way to perfection. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash 99p and use code 99PI for 20% off your first purchase. Just a warning. This episode contains mature language. Yeah, I remember the first day I got to college, I I was in line at some bakery in the in the town. And some woman pulled me out and said, I just want to talk to you because I'm a Christian woman and I worry about people like you and your relationship with Satan. <laughs> My boss, Roman Mars. What were you wearing that day? I was, I'm, I think it was, I must've been a band t-shirt and a, and a flannel or something. It was nothing. Like a band t-shirt, one particular shirt. So if you met me from the age of 14 to 19, I was probably wearing this one Husker Du t-shirt that by the time I stopped wearing it, you know, went from basically white to gray to almost kind of clear. (laughs) (laughs) And so to keep it all together, I put little safety pins across the top to keep it, to keep it all together. So is that because you saw other people doing that? No. So I remember in high school, there was, uh, there was very little punk presence. You were called a skater if you wore uh, weird clothes or listened to the bands I listened to. I, this, this is going to sound so weird. This quizzical look on your face is, it's just, but in central Ohio in the late 80s, there wasn't a concept of what a, a like a hardcore punk was. It, it There was no, you, I was called a skater and rocks were thrown at me, Wait. even though I'd never ridden a skateboard before. <laughs> People threw rocks at you? Oh shit, yeah. This like, is different. Jocks? Yeah, skaters were hated by everybody. So why bother to stand out, especially if people are like actively throwing rocks at you? Like, why bother? Yeah, it's weird because I don't know. I don't know why I wanted to have that fight all the time. But I 
I had to. Articles of Interest, a show about what we wear. And so maybe the ideas about clothing. You can attach our ideas about class. An idea of home to a piece of cloth. These are <laughs> Any fool can wear clothes. But if you ain't got the attitude and style to carry it off, man, you're just a clothes horse. There's this myth that it's frivolous or unproductive to care about how you look. Clothing and fashion get trivialized a lot. But think about who culturally gets associated with clothing and fashion. Young people, women, queers, and people of color. Groups of people who historically haven't been listened to have expressed themselves on their bodies, through their style, their hair, their tattoos, their piercings, and what they wear. You've got to understand... Black working class kid, that's all the only way we had to express ourselves was through the music we listened to and the clothes we wore. This is Don Letts, a legendary DJ and filmmaker and creator of the documentary Punk Attitude. I've always engaged with the look because, you know, in black culture, we've been forced to express ourselves in a very punk rock way. In what is a very white world, we've only been left the fringes to operate within. Do you understand? So that's forced us to do weird things like come up with reggae for instance, which is actually formed by a lack of technology, not because you've got it, you know what I mean? It's always a definition of punk. Hip-hop, two turntables and a microphone. I mean, if that ain't a form of black punk rock, what is? Punk rock, in the classic sense, in the way it sounds and the way it looks, emerged from a place of disenchantment and dissolution. I already was pretty alienated being black, but by the mid-70s, it's interesting because society had managed to alienate its own white youth. We're talking specifically London society. You've got to set the scene a little bit. You know, we're talking about mid-70s, so times were tough. We were talking about almost social crisis, economic, political. You can't find jobs, accommodation. The housing problem, of course, is terrific. And financial, you know, we're talking about three-day weeks. We're very concerned about unemployment. We've no room, we've no job. Power cuts and strikes and all this stuff, massive unemployment. We do not have sufficient houses, jobs and schools for our own people, let alone immigrants. There are far too many immigrants in this country. The rise in the National Front. We can't go into the locals anymore. They're full up with noisy foreigners and we don't like it. And, you know, it just felt like England was constantly fucking great, man. I mean, I was lucky. I had a soundtrack to ease my pain. I had the reggae. But my white mate's not so lucky. Now, there are a lot of different opinions as to where punk music came from and what its roots and influences were. And whether it started in Detroit or New York or whatever, it's widely agreed that punk music came from somewhere in the United States. Everybody thinks England, England invented punk. Rubbish, but they were smart enough to give it a look. The look of punk. That started in London. It wasn't invented here. They just give it a style, which is not to be sniffed at, because that music and style combination is a deadly combination. And the look of punk, like traditional 70s British punk, is so iconic. Think the green mohawk, the safety pins, the leather jacket, the plaid miniskirt. And a look that iconic, that specific, It doesn't just happen by accident. Someone designed it. Hi, are you open? Yeah, thanks. On 430 Kings Road in London, there is a little shop. It looks like a little shack. It's tiny. Don Letts remembers the first time he went in there. 
I found myself wandering up and down the King's Road, Chelsea, which back in the day, in the early 70s, which was like the major fashion high street in the UK, in London. And I wandered into this store called, uh, it was either called Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, or Let It Rock, because he, he kept changing the name of the store. And I walked into what was kind of Aladdin's cave of subculture. And Malcolm was there and Vivian was there. Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren the couple that owned the shop in the 70s. They had started out selling records and then moved into clothing. But I struck up a relationship with these guys, and it was probably one of the most fortuitous meetings I've ever had. Vivian Westwood was in her early 30s, a primary school teacher and mother of two who sewed all the clothes in her living room. She had no formal training, but she had grown up sewing her own clothes out of necessity. Malcolm McLaren was in his mid-twenties and lived in this kind of world of ideas. The countercultural riots in 68, Paris, Grosvenor Square, you know, Kent State, all that stuff. Those little things. The Situationist movement in France. This stuff I would have never fucking heard about. The Situationists were really important to Vivian and Malcolm. As early as the 1950s, Situationist theorists declared that artists and thinkers were morally obligated to break down the divides between art and life to fuse art with everyday existence so that art could not be cleaved away and etherized and put into galleries and academies. And the way to do this, the Situationist said, to fuse art and life is for artists and activists to be provocateurs, to create dramatic, outlandish interruptions in the everyday, to expose the absurdity of the status quo. Art and protest were to be on the streets, with no barriers, for everyone in their faces, whether they wanted it or not. Yeah, the whole idea of being subversive, thinking out of the box, being punk. But the look of punk still wasn't quite born yet. In their pursuit of testing limits, of merging art and life, Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren were constantly changing the shop and the style of clothing sold within it. They'd close it down, rename it, and reopen it again. And it's not like they were closing the stores down because they were failures. They were changing the face of 430 Kings Road because they wanted to. Malcolm McLaren got bored, and he wanted to move on, and so did Vivian. This is Claire Wilcox, senior curator at the Victoria and Albert Museum. By the way, Vivian Westwood herself declined to be a part of this story. But Claire Wilcox has interviewed Westwood and curated an incredible exhibit of the many phases of her work. It's this idea of always outrunning their audiences. They were always one step ahead. They never rested on their laurels. They kept moving, changing, gathering momentum. They were kind of like anthropologists. They get really intrigued by a certain subculture and they build the shop around it. 430 Kings Road had an iteration where it sold dandy rocker clothes, and another making more leather, biker-inspired stuff. And then, in 1974, Vivian and Malcolm turned 430 Kings Road into a shop called Sex. It was called Sex. One word, all caps. What Vivian said about being interested in clothing used in the sex industry, the latex, the rubber, was that she appreciated it for its strange kind of beauty. The sign just said sex in big pink plush letters. The clothes inside were leather and rubber and covered with straps, skin tight and androgynous. And she said that you had a, the mixed clientele coming to the shop when it was called sex range from, as she said, people with a perverse interest in these types of garments 
and then kids off the street just wanting to be fashionable. So it was a sort of hybrid moment. Malcolm and Vivian knew how to shock. No one had stuff like theirs. Knowing the mohair tops and some of her T-shirts, fucking cool. I nearly died trying to put on a rubber T-shirt once. Seriously, that's not a joke. I didn't put the talcum powder thing on. Nobody told me about that shit. and nearly died with this thing wrapped around my neck trying to get it off. On trips to New York, Malcolm and Vivian discovered the burgeoning American punk music scene, which was blooming in interesting new ways. And so, upon his return to London, Malcolm decided that he would like to manage a band of his very own. He and Vivian gathered some kids who worked at and hung out around 430 Kings Road and formed them into a group named the Sex Pistols. But it's not like the Sex Pistols were just like a clever ruse to sell clothes. No, I mean, listen, it was a fortuitous combination for those things to work together. But that wasn't anything weird. I mean, you know, the style of, of, of music in this country is like it's so important. So that, you know, I don't think that um, there was any shame in that. Malcolm and Vivian wrote some of the lyrics for the Sex Pistols, which were about, you know, anarchy in the UK and bad-mouthing the Queen. It was not your mother's rock and roll. It was the anti-band, the anti-music, built to shock, kind of for politics, but also kind of just to shock people, like a situationist happening. Although maybe that's giving Malcolm too much credit. I don't know how planned out this was. Malcolm wanted to create Malcolm World. What his endgame was, I have no fucking idea. I think Mal- I don't think Malcolm did, to be honest. He did make up a lot of shit as he went along, and a lot of things that kind of ended up in chaos he pretended that he orchestrated. But that's okay, you know. What was your question? This new movement demanded a new look, a new store. So in 1977, 430 Kings Road was reincarnated again. This time, it was called Seditionaries. And this is the iteration of the store in which punk fashion would truly emerge. In a way, Seditionaries was a line in the sand because here you had the true merging of music and fashion, McLaren's two main loves. The chapters of 430 Kings Road all compounded on each other. Elements of Edwardian dandy and rocker and biker and sex worker all combined and catalyzed with hard, fast music and political imagery. Uh, it's a ripped-up Union Jack, held together with safety pins. This is style icon Michael Kostiff, a longtime neighbor of 430 Kings Road. Over the years, Michael and his wife Gerlinda bought so many Westwood clothes, their collection was acquired by the Victoria and Albert Museum. So beautifully cut, the trousers. Really? Yeah, and they sort of sit, they've got a big wide belt, a little bit hipster almost. Michael is showing me a pair of his old bondage trousers, which look like a straight jacket for your legs. They're loaded down with zippers and chains and straps hanging off them. And there's even a strap that ties your knees together, which Michael assures me was less limiting than you'd think. The legs are connected yeah, with this yeah. with this so you strap. strap them through. And it was absolutely no bother to walk. It, uh, no, it didn't yeah. alter anything. It, it there's nothing you couldn't do with, yeah. with your knees tied together. These bondage trousers of Michael's were black, but there were versions in plaid, and some had kilts that you could clip on the front and back, or little towels and other things that would hang off them. The last time I had a conversation with Bob Marley, we had an argument about the bondage trousers that I was wearing. What? What did he say about them? He didn't like them. He thought they looked like mountaineer trousers. Vivian's clothes turned people into strange sculptures. She played with the human form, 
binding the legs together or extending sleeves down to the floor and pushing the body into new angles. All the things were sort of cut differently, you know, with one sleeve higher than, with a neck hole to one side, and it sort of pulled the fabric in different ways. It was all rather fabulous. As a sartorial movement, it was resolved. It was well-crafted. It was not cheap. It wasn't cheap? It wasn't cheap. Huh. The clothes were not cheap. In other words... Fucking expensive. <laughs> but no, it was clothes as art, though, without a doubt. Those first punk clothes weren't dirty, grungy, sloppy. They were fabulous and strange. I mean, the thing about Vivian's clothes is they were clothes as art. You've got to understand that. Vivian has always taken great pride in crafting her clothes very carefully. You get this extraordinary sort of marriage of craft and care and, you know, downright outrageousness. So outrageous that other shops started to copy Vivian's designs. Lots of people copied those looks. Once the genie was out of the bottle, then the whole of King's Road was selling variations upon a theme. There's loads to go with the punk look. You know, you've got studding and wristbands and leather harness, you know, loads of ephemera that could add on to it. So it gave loads of people a chance to have a business. Punk was easy to rip off. Michael showed me some imitation bondage trousers that used to belong to his wife. They were made by another shop called Boy. These were copies. Boy copied all Vivian's things and did them much cheap in cheaper fabrics. The store Further Boy. down the King's Road, yeah. Which was kind of cool because it gave more people a chance to wear the clothes. Vivian hated Boy. And she went, oh, maybe I should set my shop on fire because they'd have to do the same. <laughs> But the other side of this coin was that individuals could imitate these looks very easily as well and sort of elaborate on them. You know, tape and bandages and God knows what. Vivian had created a style lexicon that anyone could play around with. Lavatory chains, safety pin, you know, it was a very do-it-yourself ethic. I mean, you could go into your own wardrobe right now and rip stuff up and put it back together and make it punk. And that DIY part, that Vivian love. It gave a chance for the kids with no money to develop a do-it-yourself version of that. Vivian Westwood, after all, didn't have any training as a seamstress. She just figured out how to do these things. So anyone could and should follow her lead. It was part of this shared movement of rebellion that these clothes could be adopted and customized and adapted by anybody, wherever you came from, however rich or poor you are, however old you were, whatever sex you were, you could take these clothes on and perhaps you might save up to buy a pair of bondage trousers, but you'd customize your own t-shirt. Punk became grassroots. As Vivian herself has said, it wasn't invented from the streets. It was the other way around. It turned into a movement. So I think, in a way, it was quite a sort of joyful explosion of taking possession of your own identity. And before the internet, this look was cross-pollinated between New York and London by touring bands like the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. And so there started to be this back-and-forth dialogue a little bit between the two scenes, but they were visually really different. Monica Sklar, fashion historian and author of the book Punk Style, she says the New York look was based in functionality. With New York being jeans, T-shirts, using safety pins for functional purposes. But the London look, thanks to Vivian Westwood, was rooted in art aesthetic. As bands toured and cultures mixed, spheres of influence spread across the U.S. And then it would 
go around the country and, and around the globe. Other scenes would come to fruition and take on their own bed of influence. Depending on bands, on the weather, on the local culture, punk became reinterpreted. Whether it's San Diego, whether it's DC, whether it's Detroit, London, New York, Minneapolis had a large series of bands and style leaders. And then as those individuals and their stuff, whether it's, it's them personally traveling around or as their zine makes it around or their music that gets to the next place, the style goes with them. Note how Monica Sklar said their style went with them, not their fashion. This goes way beyond punk or subculture, but especially in the United States, fashion is associated with entire groups of people that are often relegated as secondary. Women, queers, people of color, and youth. Fashion is the realm of the historically powerless. And so people don't want to talk about things that are associated with them, but they do have this huge awareness of style and how important style is. Style, according to sociologist Michael Brake, is a combination of three elements. Image. Image. So what are we looking at? Demeanor. What's our attitude when we're wearing it? And this concept called Argo. Argo, this French concept of slang and secret language and secret coding. Kind of like jargon, special words or phrases that only insiders in a group would know. Altogether, it's that embodiment. And so being able to have image, demeanor, and argo with authenticity is true punk style. In other words, it's part of what makes you authentic or a poser, if you have the right style. And for punks, it was this ceaseless hunt to sniff out true punk style. It was a lot of looking for little clues, hints of authenticity, trying to figure out who was on your side and who was a sellout. It was constant, and it was exhausting. In fact, only shortly after Seditionaries opened in the late 70s, Vivian Westwood herself got tired of it. In hindsight, she said, I got tired of looking at clothes from this point of view of rebellion. I found it exhausting. After a while, I wasn't sure if I was right. I'm sure that if there is such a thing as the anti-establishment, it feeds the establishment. And if you give something a label, then that's all it can be. And the whole thing about punk is that it's ever-evolving. And for some people, they got stuck on this early definition. It's about fast guitars. It's about mohawks, safety pins, leather jackets. No, man, that was just like one screaming shout that got you through the door. You weren't supposed to get stuck there. You know, you get on this ladder, you're smart, you keep climbing. Into the 80s, a lot of London punks kept climbing. Members of punk bands peeled off to learn how to actually play their instruments and experiment with, like, synthesizers. And interesting about post-punk is that all of a sudden people are kind of honest about what they really liked. And Vivian Westwood taught herself how to tailor. Like, gave herself a real formal training. So she embarked on this mission to self-educate herself through looking at 17th, 18th, 19th century dress. And this is not DIY. These are not garments that anyone could copy. Subsequent lines of Vivian's played with corsetry, ball gowns, suits, evening clothes, using nicer materials and toying with elements of history, and even nostalgia. Stuff that was not punk. Punk clothing was two-dimensional. It could be laid flat. However, when she learns how to tailor, and this is a very difficult process that she taught herself, her clothes become more and more three-dimensional. 
As her views of authority and establishment became multidimensional, her garments gained dimension as well. You see the development of her skill running alongside the development of her interest in history and also her, not rejection of punk, because I think it would always be part of her, but her, her moving on from always being on the defence, always being involved in some kind of conflict, political, sartorial conflict with the world. Do you sell things on Instagram, though? No. Yeah? Majority. Really? <laughs> Our Instagram is like the Wild West. Yeah. It is very active. That store on 430 Kings Road, it still belongs to Westwood. Ever since 1980, it's been called World's End, and it has a giant clock on the front with its arms spinning backwards. And if you go there today, it's not really a band of misfits that hang out there anymore. But there are a lot of Japanese tourists who come to pilgrimage. <laughs> Vivian Westwood is one of the most famous clothing designers in the world now. I mean, she's huge. She doesn't have the time to speak to me for this podcast. But she is the reason why I wanted to talk about clothing. Because in 2009, I heard her say this thing to the New York Times, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since. The paradox is that people think that if they wear something simple and non-saying, that somehow they themselves will emerge all the more stunning and beautiful from it. It's not true. It might be true. No, not, not even true of Christy Turlington. You know, no, no, I don't want to see Christy Turlington in a T-shirt and jeans. She can, why not, if you're born you know, somebody, a freak of beauty, why not, you know, look like a goddess? Why not? I think everyone knows that feeling when you're dressed in an outfit you really like and you look good and you feel good. That is an essential power of clothing. Aside from, you know, covering your body or keeping you warm, it has the power to give you confidence. It's why Roman dresses up when he goes to do a live performance. I have lots of options in ties and I have lots of options in pocket squares and stuff like that. And that I have fun with that to perform and to actually show respect that I care about these things to an audience. Um, that's what that signals to me. And I also like it. I think I look good. And the thing punk did was push the boundaries of what looks good. It's not about looking perfect or clean or rich. It incorporated people of all ages and bodies and backgrounds and ideas and gave them that confidence. It pushed our ideas of beauty. And Professor Monica Sklar knows this firsthand. Beauty standards were pushed and pushed and pushed. I was fired from a record store, a record store as a youth for having an eyebrow piercing, and now I'm a professor and curator and vice president of the National Society of my profession, and I have it. And really, this is the power of what fashion designers can do. Something that appears strange or scary or expensive at first can trickle down through the cycle of trends and maybe, in time, come to expand notions of what's acceptable so that more people can feel comfortable expressing their own style their own cocktail of image, demeanor, and argo, however it manifests. And this myth that it's frivolous or unproductive to care about how you look or what you wear is completely bunk. 
to not have to think about how you present or to assume that you can somehow dress in a way that is neutral or non-saying. That is a massive, massive privilege. Whether we like it or not, we are all speaking with our clothes. And we might as well give a good, hard think about what we want to say. The pocket, the piece of paper, words from yesterday. There's a portrait painted on the things we love. The with a hidden story, wrinkled on display. A Articles of Interest is made by myself, Avery Truffleman, with editing from Katie Mingle and Joe Rosenberg. Music by Rebecca Redman, Shannon Bedrogi, Jenna Marks, and Maya Oseto of the band Soar. The theme songs for Articles of Interest are by Sasami Ashworth. Fact-checked by Graham Haysha, mixed by Sharif Youssef. And Roman Mars is the Ian Mackay of this whole series. Special thanks to Sonnet Stanfill, Ella Ravinilis, Brendan Cormier, and the online library Bloomsbury Fashion Central, Thanks as well to Marion McCune, Delaney Hall, Vivian Lee, Sean Rial, Kurt Colstead, and the whole 99PI team. Want to make your next trip unforgettable? Book a Get Your Guide travel experience. Choose from over 100,000 travel experiences in the U.S. and around the world with Get Your Guide. I love to travel. And you can do a little bit of reading and just show up in a place and get something out of where you are. But if you really want to connect with your destination, if you really want to find those under-the-radar gems and get that local history, you need a guide. You can make memories all over the globe with Get Your Guide's locally vetted, expertly curated experiences. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience with GetYourGuide.com. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. 
Cambria Hotels features locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. That's what I like. I like to be within walking distance of all this stuff. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. With so many hotel brands, Choice Hotels allows you to prioritize what you need. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Invisible is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your terms. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop and mobile. And with their new asset library, you're able to manage all your files from one central hub and use them across the Squarespace platform. Get started with one of Squarespace's professional website templates with designs for every category and use case, then customize your look, update content, and add features to fit your unique needs. I made my website in RomanMars.com a long time ago on Squarespace. It was simple, it was easy to do, it was exactly what I needed. Head to Squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to Squarespace.com invisible to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. The history of clothing is not a linear one. It circles back around and around on itself. Styles weave in and out through the decades, each time reincarnated in new materials with new associations. The history of clothing is a history of subversion, whether it's bringing bondage wear into the light of day or jeans into the workplace or pockets into women's wear. It's a dynamic that puts our bodies in conversation with all the many, many political, societal, and economic forces that have determined the fashions before us as the cycle of trends goes around and around and around. And that's it. That concludes Articles of Interest. Thank you for listening. And by the way, this gorgeous music box theme that you're listening to was composed by the great Sean Rial our 99PI staff composer. And we're back to regular 99% Invisible programming after this, and all these episodes will be archived on a separate feed. We're thinking about whether or not we want to do a second season of this, so let me know your thoughts. I'm on Twitter at Truffleman1F and at Articles of Interest on Instagram. Oh, and a final thought. We're celebrating this podcast with a big clothing swap. And if you've never been to one of these before, it's where a bunch of people gather somewhere and everyone brings their clothes that they don't want anymore and then trade them all up with each other for free. I find it's the most sustainable and most interesting way to dress. Consider throwing a clothing swap of your own sometime. Because you have to wear clothes anyway, right? Radiotopia.
Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Coco Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.